We are starting in on a new series today. Uh, we spent the last few months talking about fascination Jesus. Uh, just talking about why folks are fascinated with Jesus, why we are fascinated with Jesus, and we're going to turn our attention more horizontally in terms of connecting with one another. I mean, Jesus said that uh, we're to love God with all our heart, and we're to love you know, our neighbor as ourself. And uh, our mission of the church has been to, to love Jesus and to love people. And so we're going to be talking about how we can love each other better. And this, of course, applies to gatherings of the church. It applies to our own relationships and families and with, with friends. Maybe hit the, hit the screen there and get this going. There we go. I don't know if you've ever seen the show. It's called I Shouldn't Be Alive. Uh, if you're like me, I actually really, really like survival shows, and I don't know, I have this fascination with disaster movies and stuff too, you know. Um, but th- this, this uh, show, you can get it on YouTube or probably on TV, but it's uh, the, always these crazy stories of people being stuck on mountains or in caves or lost somewhere or a plane crash or a car crash or some sort of thing, and they're often alone, and it's life or death, and often it's... Uh, more close to death than than life, and these are it's just amazing what the human what humans can actually endure and almost every episode is like this, but there usually comes a point in every episode where uh, the person thinks that they 're not going to make it that they 're not going to be rescued or that they're this is it and I have not yet seen it i 've probably seen the four seasons of it uh, once where the person is like, "You know man, I just really thinking about my car." And I'm really thinking about my house or I'm thinking about my stuff. There's usually a point, as this person is describing there, they should have died but somehow survived, where they think that they maybe are not going to make it and their thoughts seem to always go towards relationships. They start thinking of their spouse or their mom or dad or their friends or, you know, the people they know in their community. And it just highlights in the end that one of the most important things in our lives is, is people and our relationships with people. And I know it's fun to buy stuff and it's fun to, you know, grow our financial world or whatever we're doing. Uh, that stuff can be fun and exciting. But in the end, what really, really counts is our relationships. And if we're spending our time rushing after money or things, in the end, we're, we're pointing in a direction that may not actually fulfill our, our deepest needs, which are uh, being able to give in love with those around us. As W.H. Auden said, we must love one another or die. And, you know, research has actually kind of shown this, that when we don't have healthy relationships, that uh, we actually aren't, uh, it's very unhealthy for us, emotionally and even physically. And, of course, uh, COVID has made this more difficult for us. I mean, now that we have most of the rules or all the rules kind of dropped. We can somehow get back to normal. Uh, but it's still a little awkward. I don't know about you, but I find it very awkward sort of re-engaging in this, this new world. I mean, I did a big uh, wedding yesterday, and so I got to meet all these new folks at the Prestige, and it was just awkward. I always find it awkward because it's like, do you shake hands or not shake hands? Do you, do you hug or not hug? Or I mean, how, what, what is the, this view's person? You're trying to figure out what their view is. Are they like, you know, pro or anti-hugging? Or in the, you're trying to figure it out, and it's, it's I don't know about you, but I find it awkward. And so sometimes I'm like, do I shake or not? Do, do they make the first move or do I make? And they're probably thinking the same thing. It's just weird. I think it's weird. Um, and so we have this whole COVID thing, which has been really hard on relationships. And it's been hard for 
just because of the rules of separation, but it's been hard because, you know, sometimes it's been controversial and you find people in the same family or the same church with different ideas, which made it complicated. And so we're trying to at least navigate that. And uh, even before the pandemic, we know that there was this, this, uh, this epidemic of loneliness and COVID has only made this worse, that there were, uh, you know, just high reports of loneliness even before the pandemic. Um, you know, two out of every five people feel lonely today. That's 40% of people. It's only, it was only 20% in the 80s. And all the charts seem to be that people are getting more and more lonely. And that has taken a steep dive up during this pandemic. And, uh, you know, sometimes people who are single are like, well, at least, you know, those people who are married, at least they had someone through the pandemic and they weren't lonely. Actually, a lot of married people are vastly lonely as well. Uh, one psychologist said, studies indicate that roughly 20% of the gener general population suffers from chronic loneliness at any given time. And in one recent study of older adults, 62.5% of people who reported being lonely were married and living with their partner. I mean, you can be lonely and with people. I mean, there's people who probably come here most Sundays, and even though there's 80 people here or whatever, uh, they still can feel lonely because deep relationships are when you're actually giving and receiving love, when you're actually seeing someone and you feel that you're being seen, and when you're knowing somebody and feel like you're being known. And if you're missing that, you will, you will tend to feel lonely. Um, I want to talk today about healthy relationships. And this is kind of at the core of, of strong, whether it's a marriage or relationships here. That again, good relationships are this idea of giving and receiving love. It is seen and being seen, and it is knowing and being known. And I want to talk about giving and receiving love because the best relationships, whether it's a marriage or even in a church setting, is are relationships where people can give love and receive love. And this is the same with our relationship with God, that, that you know you're maturing in your relationship with God when you're able to give love to God and also receive love from God. Uh, when we're first born in this world, little babies, uh, when they're first born, don't really give love. They're all about receiving love because they can't really hug. They can basically smile and wiggle and cry. And, uh, and, and really all the giving is the parent. The parent is constantly giving love to this baby. And this baby is not necessarily giving back except for maybe in smiles and presents. But it's mostly one way from the parent and one way from the baby. But, you know, as that baby grows and matures, that baby eventually uh, becomes someone who is able to give love. And if you continually mature in your life, you should get to a place where you're able to balance giving love and receiving love. Uh, we will all tend to be better at one than the other. It seems most studies say that people tend to be better at giving love than receiving love. Um, but you really want to get to a place where you can do well at both, or at least balance the two uh, both. And, and you kind of see this even in a church gathering. You know, often if people find the church boring or a gathering of people boring, usually it's because they have a difficulty in giving love. You know, this, this place is boring, there's nothing ever happening often comes from people who have difficulty giving love and sort of getting in the action, if you will. People who find, you know, gatherings unloving or distant tend to be people who often 
have trouble receiving imperfect love. Because the reality is, if you show up in a gathering of people, you often get imperfect love. And if you set your standards too high, where you are only looking to receive perfect love, you will miss out on a whole lot of love in this world. Often what we get from people is an imperfect love because we have learned to love in different ways. We have different backgrounds. We do, grew up in different families. We've been taught different things, and so we love differently. In fact, you know, usually when someone in, uh, has a tragedy, one of the things I sometimes say as a pastor is, you're going to have to learn to receive imperfect love. Because when, when there's a tragedy, people are super awkward <laughs> around those times. They don't know exactly what to say or what to do. And, and, and you sort of have to be prepared to receive imperfect love. But um, we're going to be better at one or the other. Uh, giving love or receiving love. Now, Jesus, of course, is our example. We, uh, at least most of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we try to model our, our life after the life and teaching of Jesus. And you see in Jesus a perfect example of someone who's able to give love and receive love. And most of us would see uh, Jesus giving love, and most people, even if they don't call themselves a Christian or a Jesus follower, would say, Jesus was a super loving guy, and he, he just seemed to give love and ooze love, and he did. As he hung around the tax collectors and sinners and touched the lepers and, and was just giving love, and over and over and over again, as we talked about last month, that Jesus had compassion for the crowds and compassion for those around, around him. He had this incredible ability to just give love freely. It wasn't, uh, you know, oh, that person's, you know, below my financial class or, you know, what, what if I, you know, I'm going to have to lower myself to go love that person. Jesus didn't care about those things. He just loved the person in front of uh, uh, him. But you also see Jesus being very, very good at receiving love. Like in John 12, it says Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor, Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. You know, why is she doing that? That shouldn't be happening. Jesus, he shouldn't be receiving that in that way. That's like a year's wage. Uh, how many of you might have difficulty receiving that kind of love? I mean, let's say you're hanging out with some friends and some person comes in and like takes their bottle of perfume, which is worth, I don't know, what would be year's wage, 60 grand or 100 grand, depending on your income, I guess. You take that year's wage and they just, they dump that on your feet and they begin, you know, wiping your feet in front of these folks. You would, at least I would feel very awkward. And I would say, no, 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 that's a waste of money. You shouldn't be doing that. I would have a very, very hard time receiving that kind of gift, that kind of love. And Judas here, of course, he pipes up. And he's like, this is not a good situation. You know, that's worth a year's wage. Surely she should keep it. Or, and he goes on to say it should be sold for the poor. Jesus had this ability to be able to receive this kind of radical love. Where many of us would feel maybe we're not worthy or would feel, you know, you better keep it. Or, you know, you know these gestures of love that sometimes we might reject. Jesus was able to receive them. And in, in a similar story in Luke 7, it says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. 
When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And so here we see Jesus receiving this radical love from this, this so-called immoral woman whom the religious people look down upon as, you know, a good-for-nothing sinner. And yet Jesus is receiving this love in, folk, in front of all these religious folks. And, and, and you know, again, this, is, this, is, this takes a lot of emptying of your pride. You need to be good at understanding relationships to, to be Jesus here. Because imagine if you were hanging around with a lot of, you know, you know high-up officials or a bunch of your, you know, heroes, and then, you know, some person that, you know, was kind of on the sidelines or a street person came in and began to, you know, you know wash your feet with, you know, some expensive perfume. You'd be like, no, you can't do this. I'm looking, I'm going to look bad in front of these people or something like that. And Jesus knew these Pharisees were looking down on him, yet he's receiving this love from this woman. He had this ability to just let go of his pride and open his heart and be vulnerable and receive love in these crazy kind of lavish ways. The disciples, on the other hand, uh, we can see examples that might maybe relate more to my life and your life, where they actually struggle. We see that they, at times, he struggled giving love. Uh, for instance, Jesus set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When he asked uh, when the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? <laughs> you know, Jesus was teaching you that you love your enemies and you do good to them. It doesn't mean you, gotta, you put yourself in the way of being hurt, but it means you, you love your enemies. Because Jesus was that example. He was able to give love even to his enemies. And yet these disciples, when they, they're confronted with their enemies, they're like, you know, should we call down fire from heaven? Because... There comes to a place sometimes where we have a hard time giving love to those who are, are difficult. And the disciples, uh, and of course Jesus says, you know, <clears throat> you know he, he rebukes them for doing this because God came to give life, not take life. And then we, of course, this classic passage of Peter uh, where he is, has difficulty receiving love. And we're going to bridge off this. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus, or uh, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And, and Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answers, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And of course, this was partly representative of the, the forgiveness of Jesus, where we need to be open to his forgiveness. But there's also a radical point of receiving love. Jesus was offering love to Peter in doing something very vulnerable for Jesus. 
Um, this is something the disciples weren't willing to do. They weren't willing to wash each other's feet, but Jesus was willing to wash your feet, and Peter was unwilling to receive this act of vulnerable love. And as Peter had a hard time receiving love, again, it seems that most studies say that we are like Peter, that most people struggle to actually receive love openly, that we, we prefer to give love more than to actually receive love. And I've definitely had some growing moments in this. I remember, yeah, it was probably 20 years ago now when I first was doing the pastor thing. There was this elderly lady I'd often go see. Um, and, uh, and she was having trouble sort of managing her home a little bit. She didn't have family around, so I'd often kind of help her out around the, the house. And, and, and one day I was there, she, you know, I, I don't know, it was 20 or 50 bucks. She, you know, tried to give me 20 or 50 dollars at the end. And I was like, no, 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 I can't take that. I mean, because she was, she was quite poor. I said, you need to keep that, and you need to, you know, gift yourself with something. And she was like, no, no, I really want to give this to you. And I was like, no, no, no. And I was like fighting her. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I could see that what I was saying was actually hurting her. Because she was, was offering this, this gesture of love and appreciation, and I was shutting that down. Because, you know, I thought, well, it's better for you to keep. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't need that. You do. And, and sometimes we have this hard time receiving love from people. And the reason, I think, and as other folks say, the reason we like to give love more than receive love is because when we give love, we can be in control. When we give love, we can still have, you know, a barrier over our heart and not be vulnerable. We can just kind of give it, and we, we have control over it. But as soon as you need to receive love, you have to take your armor off. All of a sudden, you need to humble yourself. All of a sudden, you need to open yourself up and be a little bit vulnerable to actually receive something into your your life. And that can be a hard, a hard thing. And again, we can see that in, in gatherings of community where, you know, if, if you have a hard time receiving love, sometimes you will just think that all the people around you are cold because every gesture that goes towards you, you just immediately shut it down. Uh, and, and you kind of, and you, and you block it off. That, that we can be like Peter and have a difficult time receiving love. Brene Brown uh, it says, until we can receive with an open heart, we're, really, we're never really giving with an open heart. When we attach judgment to receiving help, we knowingly or unknowingly attach judgment to giving help. And so here's the other piece of the puzzle. That if we're constantly, you know, like I can't receive that or, you know, I'm not worthy to receive that or you should just keep that. If we're always blocking when people try to love us, we unknowingly can judge when people are giving. Because if I'm unwilling to receive that, then when I see you giving that, I'm going to judge you because, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. You should just be keeping that and you need to be adding that to your own bank or what, whatever it might be. One of the reasons Jesus was able to give and receive love was because Jesus knew who, who he was. And I think the thing that is really helpful for us is the same thing, that in order to be good at giving love and receiving love, it is very helpful to know who we are. And Jesus or in John 13, it says that Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and returned to God. So then he gets up and he, and he does this very vulnerable act. And it seems that John was saying because Jesus knew who he was, he was able to take his armor off. He was able to do this very vulnerable thing and wash the disciples' feet. And the same goes with us that often we have trouble giving love is because we don't know who we are. And even more so, we have trouble receiving love because we don't know who we are. 
that if we constantly think that I'm just unworthy and I'm not worth it and, you know, I'm just not good enough to receive this and, or it might be, you know, especially for us men, you're supposed to be strong and not weak and therefore, you know, to, to receive something seems weak and this is why, you know, you know, sometimes women do this, but men are often, you know, I don't want a birthday party and if I die, I don't want a funeral because there's a sense that that, that seems weak or I'm unworthy to receive that kind of attention. And often when people try to bless you with love or attention, sometimes we can shrink away. And that often comes from this idea that, that I, I feel deep down in my shame that I'm actually unworthy to be loved. And a lot of folks feel that way with God. That they can give love to God and I can worship but I can serve and I can do, do, do and I can do all these things. But when it comes to actually receiving love from God, I can keep my armor up because I, I actually don't feel worthy to receive God's love. And, but when you begin to realize that it's your birthright, by the fact that you're made in the image of God, you are worthy to receive love from people and from God. I mean, Romans 8 says, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Yet a lot of folks kind of see their relationship with God that way. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a fearful slave and, you know, I got to be very careful because God is huge and I'm just a good for nothing rotten worm or whatever it is. But it says, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. And this word Abba in the Greek was, is a very loving kind of language towards a dad. You know, like a papa or something like that. And, and that's who we are. We are, we are papa's kids. And, and God's not far from us, as we talked about last month in John 14, where Jesus says, you know, I am in the Father, and, and you are in me, and, and we are in Jesus, that we are actually wrapped up right now in the, in the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and God is loving on us and smiling on us and, and so just filled with joy because of who we are. And they said, you are worthy to receive my love. And the scripture says that you are not condemned, you are not shamed, you are forgiven, you're a saint, you've received every spiritual blessing, you have a new heart, you have been chosen, you actually bring God great joy. And so it's about a rearranging some of our thinking, like Jesus, like, he's like, I know who I am, I came from God, and so it's not a big deal for me to be vulnerable and to wash Peter's feet, because even if someone laughs at me, you know what, I know God loves me and I know who I am. And we need to walk a similar way with, with people. And when you know who you are and you know your identity, uh, it allows you to take your guard down and actually receive love from other people. And it allows you to actually give love to other people. Uh, Brene Brown said, there's only one variable that separated the people who have a strong sense of love and belonging and the people who really struggle for it. So they, she did a lot of research uh, and her books are great. If you haven't read Brene Brown, she's like essential reading, I think. Uh, but they did a lot of research and studied people who just felt like they were loved and belonged to people. And they felt like they kind of fit in and had relationships. And then they studied those who didn't feel like they belonged. They were always kind of on the sidelines to figure out like, what is the difference? And they found one major difference. And she says, uh, and that was the people who have a strong sense of love and belonging believe they're worthy of love and belonging. That's it. They believe they're worthy. And this is right in with the scriptures of us being a child of God. That the difference is, if you don't think you're worthy, 
you're always going to be on the sidelines and nobody's going to talk to me and you know I'm kind of worthless and so they're not going to want to pay attention to me and when someone offers you a gesture of love you might kind of shrink back and like you know I'm not worthy of that and and you're always pulling away when love comes your way and this can happen in marriages this can happen in relationships with kids or parents or in the church where out of the sense that I am worthy to actually receive love I'm worthy to receive love from God, and I'm worthy to receive love from each other. I mean, we could, we could start with a baby. Would you say, because, you know, sometimes there's a teaching that, you know, Christians, you're not worthy to receive God's love because you're scum. Because uh, you're, you know, as we talked about the other week, you know, the Jonathan Edwards quote is, you're like a spider that God is hanging over the fire and he can't wait to consume you. I mean, w- would you say this baby is worthy of being loved by his or her parents? Yeah, we'd say, of course, this baby is worthy of being loved by his or her parents. So why do we think we are unworthy to be receiving God's love? Or why do we think we are unworthy to be receiving love from each other? I mean, God loves us far more than this baby's parents love this baby. And yet we say, of course, that baby is worthy of receiving his parents' love. How much more are we actually worthy to receive God's love? I mean, it changes things when you see that this is our birthright, that we are worthy to receive love from people and worthy to receive love from God. And it changes the way you interact with people and it changes the way you interact with God because instead of walking into the room thinking, you know, you know, I'm so worthy and I suck and nobody wants to talk to me, you kind of walk in, you know what, I am worthy of people's love. And there are probably people here maybe interested in talking to me and, 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 I, and they're worthy of receiving my love. I mean, it changes things when you walk into the room Uh, with a sense of being created in the image of God, being forgiven, and there's no condemnation. I'm so, so loved by God. And even if this person doesn't love me, then maybe there's someone else who will love me. But it is helpful to be in a zone where you can actually give and receive love. I mean, what do you see when you look in the mirror? I mean, do do you see someone who, you know, this person is a screw up, you know, this person keeps making mistakes. And uh, this person, no wonder nobody likes this person because they, you know, they just don't have anything together. And every time they try something, they fail. And I mean, is that what you see in the mirror? Because according to research, if that's what you see in the mirror, then you will always struggle with the sense of being loved and belonging. And you will also struggle with sensing God's love towards you. I mean, you can just take Brene's Brown research and you can put it onto our relationship with God and people who struggle to feel loved by God have struggles with their sense of feel, feeling worthy in God's presence. And so uh, there's this point where we just got to acknowledge who we are. I am a child of God created in the image of God. And because of that, because God is my daddy, I am worthy to receive his love and belonging. And this can really change your relationship with people, but also changes your relationship with God. This really, really changed my own relationship with God, because I remember, I mean, years ago, uh, I think I've talked about this before, but man, I used to absolutely hate devotions. Um, but I had to do it because I was a pastor. I was supposed to do devotions. We were supposed to do devotions. And so, you know, I'd read my Bible, and then I'd pray this list and you know the whole time I would just be like struggling it's like why is this so hard and this feels like work and you know I'm struggling and struggling struggling <laughs> until I, I, I began to kind of learn a little bit more that I just thought I was scum in God's eyes 
And therefore, I was never doing it good enough because, you know, you read the Bible and you're like, what did I just read? And you're like, oh, I'm such a loser. I can't even like read God's word. I mean, the God of the universe wrote this book and I can't even figure it out. Or I'm praying and I'm thinking about lunch or something else. And I'm like, I can't, why can't I even pray? I mean, those of you know, I know I'm a little bit ADHD, so it's hard to, hard to concentrate and pray. And I would just beat myself up and it just, it just felt miserable because I'd never felt that I could do it properly until... I actually began to realize that I was so very loved by God. And whether I did my devotions or not, whether I did them perfectly or not, or whether I did them in different ways, it didn't change how God loved me. And I began to feel this, that, you know, I am, I'm worthy to receive God's love whether I do something or not. I'm saved by faith, not by what I do. And all of a sudden, I just was so set free in so many ways to be creative in my devotional life. I can even read my Bible and pray now, and I feel a sense of joy because I don't feel this pressure that God is like watching over me, making sure I do it exactly perfect. You know, I can skip my devotion. I can go on a walk and just talk with God, and I feel this joy because I actually have a sense that I am loved by God, and I'm worthy to receive his love, and that there's no condemnation, and there's no, I mean, it's been a radical shift that I find so much more joy in my relationship with God. I mean, you know, sometimes religious teaching can focus so much on doing. You know, you got to deny yourself and take up your cross. That means you never think that. that they interpret that as being unworthy, which it doesn't. <laughs> you know, you got to sacrifice and you got to give and you got to forget about yourself. And, and so we end up in this, like, anything that turns attention to me of receiving God's love, I just got to block because we interpret that as ungodly. It's very godly to receive God's love. And so we just get into doing so all of our devotions are only doing, and, and church is all about doing, and everything is about doing instead of receiving God's love. And, and we wonder why sometimes folks f- think that God is distant. Because again, if you are not able to give love and receive love, you will always sense a distance or a gap or that there's something strange about this relationship. The most healthy marriages are marriages where husband and wife both give and receive in a balanced dance. Uh, the most healthy kind of church is where we learn together to both give love and receive love in a healthy dance. The best kind of relationship with God is where you learn to give love to God, but also take moments where you just receive love from God. And if you can enter into that, it really changes you. And all of a sudden you move from a sense of feeling distance from God or distance from other people, and you're like, I'm actually worthy to receive God's love, and I'm worthy to receive love from other people, and, and I can give love to God, and, and these folks around me, they're worthy to receive my love as well. And, and it just brings you into this realm of deeper relationship. 